It's great to have you with us from wherever you're tuning in from. For more information about Elevate Church or to contact us, head to our website elevatechurch.me and take us wherever you go by downloading our Elevate Church AU app. We hope this message inspires and helps you to take your next steps in your journey. It's a a very short slice um, from a relatively new thing called the Lumo Project, which uh, whoever's behind that, um, Jared thinks it's David Attenborough, but I'm not quite sure that's uh, correct. Um, Taking uh, slices of the Gospels, you know, the biographies of Jesus, uh, public life, and you know, putting them into what would be a relatively accurate context. And I, I love that because we get to, you know, we're sitting here in 2,000 years later in uh, Perth. You know, some people think Jesus had blonde hair and blue eyes and there's all, you know, stuff like that. This can really help bring things to life, put some context. And what that was, was Jesus' first public teaching, uh, which was you know, later referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. And that particular slice is how we launched this series with what became, has become known as the Beatitudes, where Jesus taught nine things that, nine perspectives actually, that if we get them, we can understand that we are actually blessed. In fact, because think about this, this is the first thing that Jesus taught. In all eternity, the first words that came out of Jesus' mouth in a public setting, you have to think he was gonna choose those words very, very carefully. And one of the things that's uh, important to understand about these Beatitudes is what Jesus taught. And when you read them on the surface, they seem upside down because they don't line up most of them with the current prevailing culture. They didn't, didn't back then and they still don't today. But the important thing to understand is Jesus was actually coming and saying that in certain aspects of life, the kingdom of God works differently to the prevailing culture. Not necessarily in opposition, but differently. And if we look at often life, circumstances, relationships, situations through kingdom perspectives, then we start to realise that life doesn't have to be perfect for us to experience joy, that God can actually give us a perspective that we recognise and it actually changes us from the inside out, sometimes even when our circumstances don't change. So we talked about that last week. We shifted gears. Jesus, when He'd finished teaching the Beatitudes, He then taught uh, about salt and light, that as Jesus' followers, He talked about our purpose for existing that we're here to add value to other people, to influence other people, to invest in other people, to actually leave conversations better than when they started, to leave uh, situations, meetings, uh, to invest and serve other people. So as Jared said, if you missed any of those, get back on the pod and listen to that. But then Jesus continued this Sermon on the Mount, his, his longest, so his first his longest, probably his most famous, and it included a bunch of bangers. Like it would have been a mic drop moment after mic drop moment after mic drop moment. He's teaching about salt and light. Boom, mic drop. He's teaching about love your enemies. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Drops mic. Then he talks about, well, Jesus teaches how to pray and he taught how to pray and included what we now refer to as the Lord's Prayer. That's right in there, straight out of the gate. Uh, about the importance of building your house on a firm foundation that storms will come and the people that 
endure the storms, whose life endures the storms are those who built their house on a firm foundation. It's not the absence of storms, it's the importance of the foundation and many, many more. So what I'm gonna encourage you to do, this is the last week of this series, strongly encourage you, read the entire Sermon on the Mount for yourself. Some of you, oh, I've done that once. Refresh yourself. Matthew chapter five, all the way through to Matthew chapter seven. Remember, these are the first things that Jesus taught. You gotta think that they're super, super, super important. Okay, what I wanna do today is take us to the very next thing. Jesus just finished teaching the Sermon on the Mount. He's starting to walk down, the, down from where he was teaching. And this is the very, very next thing. I'm gonna call today the grace factor. And I'm gonna drop us into Matthew chapter eight. So Matthew's one of Jesus' four biographers. Uh, this is the very next scene. And, and what happened was Jesus is walking down and he was approached by a man who had leprosy, okay? The very fact that this man with leprosy approached Jesus actually broke some rules in that very, very moment. Uh, in that time, it's likely that leprosy was more of an umbrella term to include a bunch of kind of ill, skin kind of visible conditions, okay? Um, but it wasn't considered just a medical issue. It was also considered a spiritual issue because in that culture and in that time, if you had a physical ailment, it was assumed that the reason you have that is because either you or somebody in your ancestry has sinned. So people were walking around and if they saw you with your visible sickness, they're thinking, ah, I wonder what they did wrong. Or I wonder what their parents did wrong. I wonder what their grandparents did wrong. And so there was this projection of shame onto the individual who had a physical medical issue that something was wrong with you spiritually. And so the shame was projected and therefore the shame was felt. And so what happened is for both the safety of the pop, gen pop and for the sort of safety of, oh, not really safety, we'll just keep them out, out there. And so, and we understand these terms now. People with leprosy had to live in quarantine outside of the city limits together and not just for seven days. They weren't allowed to leave that place and they certainly weren't allowed to come to a populated place where Jesus was just teaching crowds and they most certainly weren't allowed to approach a rabbi because unclean people, remember not just physically unclean but spiritually unclean, weren't permitted in that, in that culture to have any dealings with a clean person for fear that the clean person would become unclean, not with the disease, but with the spiritual brokenness. So here we've got this leper and uh, he's got a little bit of hubris. Then a leper appeared and dropped to his knees before Jesus, praying, Master, if you want to, you can heal my body. Didn't even ask him any questions. Uh, so Jesus, I was taking notes during that message. Uh, I'd like to further explain point number two, if you don't mind. And uh, point number four, not sure if I agree with that one. No, didn't ask any questions. He just put himself before Jesus and said, you can heal my body. And Jesus reached out and touched him saying, I want to, yeah, be clean. 
then and there, all signs of leprosy were gone. This very interaction doesn't just say a lot about the leper. It says a lot about who Jesus was, that the leper felt comfortable enough to approach Jesus. Because there's actually historical records of lepers. If they do this sort of thing, the, the general public, in some cases, would physically stone them to death because they broke the rules. So this leper essentially uh, risked his life, but he didn't expect Jesus to be the one that instigated that. He, he expected something different from Jesus. And interestingly, it's not that he just got healing from Jesus. He got grace from Jesus. He didn't get the shame, the judgment, the titch, titch, you know the rules, buddy. Back you go, out there. He got grace. Well, I'm gonna come back to that. I remember the first time I ever flew business class. Uh, I was in Orlando for, for business um, in the... Um, lounge area, Gen Pop lounge area. And uh, they called my name over the loudspeaker. And in the US, it's very common uh, for them to overbook flights. And so what the airlines will do, they'll overbook flights by let's say 10%. And then they'll do like a broadcast announcement 20 minutes before boarding. Uh, if anybody would like to, uh, uh, we're currently overbooked. If anybody would like to uh, maybe take the next flight out, we'll give you $100 voucher. And then some people are like, yeah, I got time to kill. 100 bucks is more valuable to me than two hours. And they go get, so I got my name called specifically. And I just mistakenly assumed that I was about to get bumped and have no choice in it. You know, let's pick on the Aussie. And so I was pretty ticked off with my preconceived assumptions. And I walked up to the desk. I'm like, yeah, what? I'm Mark Pomery. What do you want? Uh, would you like an upgrade to business class. And I'm like, oh, well, yeah, what's that gonna run me? Oh, no, 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 it's free. We wanna, we're gonna, we're, we're overbooked in coach. Uh, we wanna bump you up to business class. Is that okay with you? I'm like, uh, mind if I board now? Like, I mean, yeah, of course it's okay with me. So I'm in business class. And uh, <clears throat> immediately, as, as before we even took off, I was exposed to the reality that the only two things that business class passengers share with economy class passengers are the takeoff city and the destination city because everything else is different. First of all, they call you by your own name. Welcome aboard, Mr. Pomery. Not seat 32, bugger off. No, call you by Mr. Pomery. Uh, have a seat. Then they come, would you like a drink? I wasn't even thirsty. I'm like, yeah, I'd like a drink. Uh, would you like a copy of today's paper? Uh, sure. Uh, which paper? Bring them all. Stack of paper. Loving it. Brilliant. Extra leg room. When they brought out the food, it was served on real plates with real cutlery. Hello. The fork didn't break halfway through the very tender, juicy steak. And this one, this I think is the best thing about flying business class. The seats are wider. And you know why that matters? you run almost zero risk of your forearms bumping against the person in the seat next to you's forearms, which you all know. I mean, that's prime real estate in economy. First person on board, arm goes on the armrest and you ain't budging. I don't care if it's a 17-hour flight. This, this forearm ain't moving. I'm claiming that. You don't have to worry about that. You've got your own armrest. Hello. 
And people are, well, you're typical, you probably fly business class all the time. I have never once paid for a business class ticket in my life. I'm always having to walk through the curtain at the back of the plane. <laughs> Not this time. And then I got to LA and I was, it turns out I was on a bit of a hot streak because they upgraded me to business class again from LA to Sydney. Whoa, hello. Lie flat beds, people. This seat goes whoop. Whoa, come on now. And this is Qantas, they walk around, they give you a free pair of pajamas. Now I knew they did that. I'd never had the experience, but I knew they did that. And I remember in my ignorant past thinking to myself, what a bunch of pretentious tosses walking around in Qantas pajamas. I mean, come on. Mate, they gave me those pajamas. I was in them before I even took my seat. I'm like, I'm gonna, and Ivan was tempted to walk through into economy class and just do a lap in my Qantas Jimmy Jams to be like, you people are gonna wake up in those very same clothes. <clears throat> I didn't. And have you ever wondered what the purpose of the curtain is? You ever thought about that? Let me, let me answer that for you. It's, it's, it's not soundproofing. It's only because they, they have to close the curtain because if the economy passages actually saw what was going on on the other side of the curtain, it would be rioting. So the less they know, the better. Oh, and there's another difference between flying business class uh, and economy class is your, uh, the probability of you talking to the person next to you actually goes up quite a bit because statistically, people that buy business class tickets, it's proven, are far less likely to be serial killers. So you can actually tell them <laughs> your name, what you do for a living, maybe what city you live in and don't fear they're going to follow you home and kill you. So... So I did, I talked to the guy next to me on my, on my flight, turns out he's the CEO of something, something. Oh, okay, it's impressive. And uh, he's flying, you know, his suit and tie. I'm Jarmus, but he's, he's suit and tie. So. Okay. And in that moment, I'm talking to this guy, in that moment, I'm thinking to myself, this guy paid for this business class ticket. This guy actually deserves to be here. And I knew 100% that I was a fraud. I knew 100% that, that I could take absolutely zero credit for being in front of the curtain. And, and, and the reason I share that story is that actually gives us a picture of what grace looks like. It's, it's that when Jesus did what he did on our behalf, it's a reminder that, that we could not have done one single thing to deserve it, and yet Jesus made it possible. Now, when he taught the Sermon on the Mount and started with the Beatitudes, he used he teed off with all nine of these Beatitudes with the word blessed, and we defined the word in the context that he would have used it as the state of being singularly favoured by God, that God not only loves you, he also likes you. He likes doing good things for you. He likes to actually put you in positions where you're gonna experience something that maybe somebody else hasn't experienced. That's a, 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 an example of being blessed. 
And so then we look at this singly favored. Well, this definition features in the definition of grace. The, the, the definition of grace is undeserved favor. So we get to experience good things from our Father who loves to give us good things and we don't deserve any of them. And yet he gives them to us anyway. This is grace. Now, right now I'm getting into the NBA playoffs. NBA playoffs, it's finals time or they call it the playoffs. And uh, it's getting out of the final four, which uh, translated into Aussie is the semi-finals, mate. Semi-finals, getting out of the final four. I'm watching this and uh, it's, it's very exciting. Very, very exciting. And every play matters. I mean, if you lose the, the series, you don't get to go on to the next round. No, you're out. That's it. Season over. All of the training and every Done. See you next year. Um, so every shot matters. Every play matters. Every free throw matters. It got me thinking about free throws. Essentially, it's the only aspect of the game you have 100% control over, but it's amazing how many times these professional best-in-the-world basketball players miss. I'm like, how hard can it be? Says the five foot ten white boy. But anyway. <laughs> the Guinness Book of World Records has a category for the most consecutive free throws made. And it was last set, the, the current record was set in the late 90s, not by a former professional NBA basketball player, but actually from a retired dairy farmer named Ted St. Martin. Here's Ted. And his wife's on the count. His wife's on the count. Now, let, let, let's, let's play a game. So, so he's the current world record holder, Okay. Let's play a game. It's a guessing game. Three categories. Which, what, what do you think the, the number is? And I'll give you a range. It's not like the jelly bean one. You have to get the absolute, no, just give you, so let's, let's put up the range. Do you think Ted St. Martin's current, remember, you've watched basketball where professional players have got two shots and they often miss one or both. Is Ted St. Martin's current world record, A, between 100 and 200? So it's more than 100, I'll, I'll just. Is it B, between 200 and 500, or C, between 500 and 1,000. Who's team A? Who's team A? Okay, all right. Two people, what a bunch of cynics. All right, uh, who, who's team B? Who's team B? All right, okay, fair enough. Who's team C? Whoa, hey, we've got some optimists in the room. Well, as optimistic as you are, the actual answer is 5,221 consecutive Free throws by a retired dairy farmer. By the way, fun fact, the record that he beat had stood for three years by a chap who, who at the time that he, got, he achieved that record was 72 years old. He was in the high 2000s and he had to stop because the gym that he was shooting the baskets in was closing for the night. <laughs> that is what I call some serious short-term planning mistakes. Anyway, 5,221. Well, well, imagine this. Imagine if Jesus said to you that the way that you're gonna enter the kingdom of heaven, the only way that you and I are gonna enter the kingdom of heaven is if we make 10,000 consecutive, like if that was the, that was the, the bar. You, if, you, the only way that you and I get to, 
to experience the kingdom of heaven is if we, first of all, make 10,000 consecutive free throws. Now, if Ted couldn't do it, we know it, it would be impossible. So check out this bonkers thing that Jesus had actually said earlier in the Sermon on the Mount. No kidding, I'm not making this stuff up. Unless you do far better than the Pharisees in the matters of right living, you won't know the first thing about entering the kingdom. Now, the Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day. They were like the Michael Jordans of religion. Okay, the last dance back 2,000 years ago. They, they, they would, now, they had over 600 laws, right? Not only would it have been a challenge to remember 600 laws, I mean, some of you can't remember your own phone number, not only remember 600, but imagine trying to keep 600 plus laws, and these guys, they were studs. They were all about it. They weren't mucking around. Many of them would have memorized the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, blah, 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 a couple, you know, even a couple of the boring ones, would have memorized them by heart, which probably is what memorizing means, uh, before they were 12 years old. This is the sort of level these guys were operating at, right? They had it dialed in and... Jesus says to us, unless you do far better than them in the matters of right living, you won't know the first thing about entering the kingdom. What's all that? It sounds like we're disqualified before we even get going. Like there's no chance. Well, thankfully, this is verse 20. Thankfully, Jesus buried the lead in verse 17. He just previously said this. And I quote, don't suppose for a minute that I have come to demolish the Scriptures, either God's law or the prophets. No, I'm not here to demolish, but to complete. Jesus in his lifetime did not break any one of the 600 plus laws. He actually lived a perfect life that we couldn't. He made the 10,000 free throws. Didn't even break a sweat. Well, technically he did. But, but he did what we couldn't do. That's how grace works. He did what we couldn't do. But not only did he do what we couldn't do, we get the prize. We get forgiven. We get healed. We get restored. We get set free. We become a new creation. Jesus says, unless you're gonna be able to beat out the Pharisees in matters of right living, but he says, but, but you can't, at least not on your own. So I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna beat them. And then I'm gonna give you the grace, the benefits. When we make the decision to make Jesus our Lord, we say, I'm, you know, I believe who you say you are. Like you're the guy who predicted your own death and resurrection and then you pulled it off, I'm with you. Uh, that, that moment or that event is called salvation. It, it's, in, it's, it's in that moment, that decision, that prayer in our timeline where we 
are now in a right relationship with God because Jesus made it possible and we've submitted our lives to Him. That's called salvation. Great, which is fantastic. That's an event. Grace makes that possible. And grace doesn't stop there. From that moment forward, we have access to more grace, ongoing grace, continued grace, endless grace. Dare I say it, amazing grace. For a process, so we've, we've, we've gone past the event, a process in big Bible church language called sanctification. You might call it transformation, but sanctification is a bit, a bit more serious. It's actually about Jesus offering us and empowering us to become more like Him, to actually become holy over time. Never perfect, but it's possible to be more and more like him over a process of time made possible by more grace. Now, if you own an established home or you're considering buying an established home versus building new construction, uh, it's possible, I'm not saying it's 100%, but it's possible that that home may not currently be your vision of your dream home. You know, it's like, you're there, but you're like, but if you like the location, you want to stay in that area, uh, you've got two choices, renovate or detonate. That's, that's, that's what's on the table for you. And uh, that's true for us in our life. God has a vision for us and his vision for us is who he created us to become. And we fall short. We can't make the 10,000 free throws. But he wants to continue to move us closer and closer to that vision, to that reality of who we were created to be all along. And there's aspects of it. I don't think, it, it's, pretty, it's pretty extreme that he'd want to detonate everything in our lives. I mean, boy, you, you know you've really messed up if that's the only option on the table. <laughs> but I certainly consider that there will, will be some aspects, aspects in our lives that are less than God's best that God will either want to renovate or detonate. Renovate like, okay, yeah, you got, you got some game going there. You got some good th- I wanna work with you. I wanna continue empowering you with more grace so you can take that strength, that progress and make it even better. That's the renovate. And then there's the detonate. It's like, you know what? I think we should just leave that behind. That way of thinking, it's not doing anything for you. Let's just take the nuclear option on, on that one. That, that, that thing you do, that, that, that way you speak, let's <laughs> wily e. Coyote style. Because we, and God wants to do that. He wants to empower us. Because chances are you've been there. You've done something less than God's best. You've thought something less than God's best. You've said something less than God's best. And that night or the next day, you're thinking to yourself, oh, I really need to do better. Like, this is not working for me. And, and, and sometimes the temptation is to just go, all right, I'm gonna do better. I'm gonna think better. I'm gonna say better. And and you're just trying to do it in your own strength, like sheer willpower. And then the next day you think it over again. You say it over again. You do it over again. And you think, 
what an idiot. I can't get past this thing. And God says, no, 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 I, you can, but not on your own. We're gonna work together on this and I'm gonna empower you and, 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 and we're going on this journey, this empowered renovation and detonation journey. Yes, you'll have to do some work. You know, God does a lot of the heavy lifting. He provides the power. But yeah, look, being here on a Sunday, reading your Bible regularly, listening to good teaching, prayer, worship, reading great books, getting a mentor, uh, maybe going to some seminars, maybe getting some counseling on the detonation stuff. You know, all those things matter. And we have to put ourselves in the position and then God supplies the power for that. And here's my final word. If you wanna go on that journey or if you're already on that journey of sanctification, don't stop at close enough. In fact, here's the great news. You don't have to stop at close enough. If, if, if we're not all the way there, we don't have to stop at close enough. Now, I've shared this. I, I am squeezing a lot of juice out of Louise and my renovation and extension project of our house. I mean, I, I gotta look for some new material. But anyway, in the meantime, uh, so we, we did an extension and then we did uh, uh, behind our older house. Then we've been renovating the older house. And um, we started that project like two and a half years ago-ish. Can't remember, thereabouts. And... Um, and we lived in the original house while the extension was being built and then the extension got ready and we moved from the original house into the extension and then started to retro the, the renovation of the original house. And one of the things in the original house was converting the kitchen into the laundry. And so while that was happening, we didn't have a, a, a working laundry. And I remember talking with one of our team one day and I said, uh, oh yeah, <laughs> hilarious. Me and my Vespa, because I, I get around on a Vespa, and uh, me and my Vespa, you know, I've got one of those big blue Ikea bags, which you think, how many ways have people used them? Well, let me tell you one. I put my schmutz covered laundry into my blue Ikea bag. I put that between the, I'm telling this story to one of our team. I put that thing between in the footrest. I put my shoes on top of the schmutz and then and I scoot down to the local laundromat and I do my laundry and then I put the Ikea bag back on and I scoot back home and then I hang it out on, on my clothes uh, line. And she said to me, and by the way, this person I was telling the story to, they bought us a housewarming present like three months prior. And she said to me, oh, I thought all that was done. Like, I think she wanted her plant, she bought a house plant, I think she wanted her plant back. Like, because I, I duped her, told her that the project was finished. And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. I said, that was extension. Now we're doing the renovations. <clears throat> that was about a year ago we had that conversation. Um, I still have what's known in the industry as a punch list. Now, it just means like stuff that still needs to be done. And it's pretty long. I was telling Paul earlier, um, it, it contracts sometimes. It's like a piano, piano accordion. It contracts a little bit, either because I've you know, ticked a few projects off with my relatively limited manual labor skill set, um, or, or we've paid a professional above my pay grade, and, and the list contracts. And then three months later, because I just add stuff as it comes up, it's like longer than it was three months ago. I'm thinking to myself, like, this is literally one step forward, two steps back. I, but, but here's the thing. I'm just gonna keep going. 
I'm gonna keep updating the punch list and then I'm just gonna keep tackling the next thing and then I'm gonna update the punch list and I'm gonna keep tackling the next thing and that's what God wants to do with us. We're still a work in progress. He's got a punch list (laughs) for us but it's all about Him taking us on this journey empowered by His grace to ultimately be transformed into his image and likeness. And don't settle for close enough. You don't have to settle for close enough. Let me leave the final word to Paul and then the other final word to Jared. This is something Paul, Paul, one of the early leaders of the church, wrote to a church in a place in Greece called Corinth and he reminded them of this very truth. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us, he makes us, more and more like him as we're changed into his glorious image. Let me, let me pray for us. God, I thank you that you made a way where there wasn't a way. That we couldn't make the 10,000 free throws, we couldn't live more rightly than the Pharisees and, and you knew that and you knew that was a problem. And you solved the problem. You came to earth as Jesus and died in our place and made it possible for us to experience salvation. And that now we can continue to submit ourselves to your power, your grace to be transformed over time, progressively, to be more and more like Jesus. Amen. We really hope you got a lot out of this message. If you live in the Perth area, we'd love for you to join one of our live experiences. For times and directions, as well as information, head to our website, elevatechurch.me. For those of you beyond the Perth area, we'd love for you to connect with our online experience, which premieres every Sunday via YouTube and Facebook Live, and on demand immediately after. And to partner with us to reach more people by giving financially, head to our website, elevatechurch.me and also download our Elevate Church AU app.